Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Scenes Consumer Product Marketing, brought to you by ShareBird. I'm your host, Meredith Davis, and this week I'm here with Ryan Goldman, Vice President of Product Marketing at SoundCloud. And today, not only are we going to dive into the launch of SoundCloud's fan-powered royalties, but we're also going to talk about product marketing and the rise of the creator economy. First off, who are creators? It's a term given to creatives garnering audiences on social media platforms. Think YouTubers, Instagram influencers, Snapchat, and Twitter thought leaders. These creators are leveraging the reach of social platforms to grow an audience they can promote or sell their own products to. That's where the economy comes in. The creator economy is powered by a layer of technology hosted by content subscription platforms. Through this, creators now have the power to go direct to community. Individuals can build viable businesses from a small number of dedicated fans. In this creator economy, passion and true connection supersede the vanity metrics such as likes, views, impressions. And I'd even go as far to say that the whole model really revolves around social tribes and shared values. If companies and brands want to stay relevant, they need to adapt to this creator economy, which really requires a new approach. Marketing departments need to connect with people, not just consumers. And more than just transactions, they need to build communities. To do this, companies must invest money, trust, and really begin to play a supporting role in building products and opportunities for creators to connect with their communities. SoundCloud is one of the leading companies to date building the creator economy. Although it's primarily known as a digital streaming platform with the world's largest music library and social interactions between artists and fans, SoundCloud also offers independent musicians distribution and artist services like marketing and promotion, as well as studio tools like mastering. SoundCloud currently has over 30 million creators, 250 million tracks, and 175 million unique monthly listeners. To give us a behind the scenes look at SoundCloud's fan powered royalties launch and building the future of the creator economy, I'm here with the VP of product marketing, Ryan Goldman. Ryan, it is so great to have you here. I am so glad to be here, Meredith. You killed it. I honestly have never heard anyone so articulately talk about tribes in a compelling way. Man, <laughs> the, the case for creator economies, I wish I were a creator now. I'd be cashing in. And honestly, I keep telling people that in my next life, I am coming back. I used to say an influencer and now it has <laughs> changed because now I want to come back in my second life as the creator. And actually to that point, it's interesting because in the 2010s, I would say that influencer marketing was a new way for companies and brands to increase their brand awareness. However, 10 years later, we're seeing this new opportunity through creators and really leveraging these interest-based communities to help creators build their own brands. You refer to SoundCloud as the next generation music entertainment company powered by community. What does this mean to you? Yeah, so the fun thing about, about SoundCloud is that it actually originally saw itself as a social media platform in a lot of ways. Sure, it was a great place for versioning artists and creators, the creator class, to, to basically get their stuff heard. 
know, it's amazing how hard it used to be to get your stuff heard. If you're creating a track in your bedroom or you're laying down tracks with your friends, where do you go? Right. How do you get it heard? SoundCloud basically took out that friction and focused on not only the way that listeners heard it, but then also how listeners engaged with it and um, how they commented, how they liked. Um, you talked about like early on, there was so much emphasis on, on those social interactions and that's where SoundCloud really started. But over time, it's begun to evolve into this thing where it's actually building this direct bridge between the, the artists and their tribes. You know, I always think of SoundCloud as the place where someone can go to first get their hit and then do everything that comes after the first hit as well. It used to be so hard to really find your audience to kind of get that amplification. And like you said, social media platforms, user-created content, user-generated content platforms, social platforms like the TikToks of the world and YouTubes of the world make it much, much easier, especially by finding other folks to take your sounds and, and put them out there with the rest of their content, whether it's playing video games or doing dances or remixes, whatever. SoundCloud actually contributes to it is the kind of starting point, the, the point at which the idea starts, right? A lot of that like user-generated content starts with the song. It starts with the sound and it starts with that vibe. Uh, and then the soundtrack is, is how it evolves and how it gets heard. And so SoundCloud really says, okay, streaming is part of the mix. It's not the only thing. It shouldn't be the only way people try and find music, but it is part of the mix. And it's a great way for those artists, those creators to get paid and to also solidify their community. And so fan powered royalties that you mentioned at the top is really focused on that. It's a move towards, hey, if you listen, the fans should have the power. The clout should come from the listeners, not the industry necessarily, not the labels necessarily, and not this idea that like, hey, the number of plays is what really matters, the number of streams. No, it's that engagement level. So the amount of time, the people who are loyal to you, the people who love you, the people who are like waiting on your next track, get it out. That's how the royalties model works. And for those who aren't even familiar with how royalties work in the industry, walk us through like, what is the typical standard for how artists get paid? Yeah, it's wild. It's one of those things where like, we still think of DSPs, digital streaming platforms as somewhat new. And we think of them as like, oh, you know, what everyone like refers to now as how they consume music. They're 10 plus years old and the royalties model has not changed until now. It's been the same all along. And so let me lay it down. So something called pro rata, this idea of pooled royalties. The idea was that, hey, if you were going to get licensed content from the labels to your platform, that was going to be expensive. And so pro rata actually translates to proportionality. So as long as the proportion of the audience is listening to the mainstream tracks, hey, the licenses get covered but there's relatively little royalties left, little money left for everybody else. However, if you look at the past few years, the content creation is not being dominated in the same way by the mainstream, by the industry, by the labels. It's actually coming from direct to consumer artists, people who are using platforms like SoundCloud to get their sounds out there. And a disproportionate number of the most engaged fans who are driving the royalties in the first place are listening to a disproportionately large amount of direct-to-consumer content from those artists. Not the mainstream, it's west of the mainstream, it's south of the mainstream, it's everywhere but the mainstream. And so 
you know, this idea of fan-powered royalties is the first model where the amount of content I consume actually determines how much of the money that's generated from my time goes to those content creators. It seems so simple. If I listen to a hundred minutes of music and 75 minutes of that music happens to be like Moses Sumney or or some really great artist that's like, Moses Sumney isn't an artist and I'm on a label now, but he did get started on SoundCloud. Then 75% of that money that I generate, whether through ads or subscriptions, should go into Moses's pocket. Right. Should go to that artist. And to put it into perspective for those listening, most music streaming platforms generally pay between three cents to five cents per stream. And I looked this up, which means that an artist needs to earn about 250 streams to make a dollar, which seems like really wild to me. It's actually worse than that. So it's three tenths oh, to five tenths of a penny. So it's even more like the math works out in such a way that even if you have tons and tons and tons of streams, you're barely making enough. Unless again, proportionally, you are a big major artist where they don't actually have to drive engagement. They don't have to drive like a, a lot of fans paying attention to their music as long as they represent a minimum percentage of total streams from the overall pool, they good as the rest of the artists that we have to worry about. And so like that number of streams shouldn't be how the math works out. It really should be like, as a fan, how much am I contributing? And then as an artist, how much am I capturing? And I would probably listen more knowing that I directly impacted my favorite musicians. So that's the hope. I mean, the, the, wild thing about you know how music works today is that you know you and I as fans will go out and we'll buy jackets and records and concert tickets and all the things that like really reward us that's hard it's never been so hard to actually spend money on music oh man and so SoundCloud is really trying to transition out of the space where the amount of money that any given fan can spend is capped at like or something like that. We're really working on ways to make first and foremost, the artists art pay off based on with whom they're engaging their their tribe. And then beyond that, make it so that it's much, much easier for fans to actually invest, to buy into the success of the artists that they care about so that, Hey, those people can remain being artists and also do what they love, which is create music for their fans. Right. So this new payment system began back in the spring in April. And it was backed by an extensive artist education campaign and direct ongoing research with independent artist communities and industry partners. What did kind of like the research look like in an effort to really build out this new approach? It's wild because SoundCloud worked on this for about three years. And the hardest part wasn't understanding the benefit or the willingness or the enthusiasm of artists. It was two other things. One was, is the math as difficult as people say? Because if you look at some of the research, if you look at some of the things that companies have published about or even said in in podcasts and interviews that, oh, running the math to, to figure out the distribution based on listener generated revenues is really hard. So that was one of the things we had to figure it out. Is it as hard as it seems or as we're told? And if it's not, what are we getting? And so there's a lot of effort and emphasis put on that. And then the other part was, okay, what changes? Fundamentally, what changes if we switch to this? And what we found was, okay, first off, we have to make sure that artists 
understands that they're bought into this idea because some will quote unquote generate more royalties. Some are bound to generate. The fact of the matter is like if we're distributing more to independent artists, that means there's probably less in the mainstream. And so we have to like deal with that challenge and relationships with the mainstream and the powers that be, not the artists necessarily, but the, the labels. But then also what are some of the things that are happening in the background based on this pro rata model that need fixed, that are problematic? And we found that there's a lot of fraud in the world. Not right. This is not a SoundCloud problem. <laughs> pro rata fundamentally makes it easy to goose numbers. Oh, wow. Um, to go out there and generate plays in a ghostly way, um, in an ephemeral way that is not based on actual fan engagement. It's not based on a proportion of my time spent with that artist. It's just based on machines driving up numbers. Like you said, three-tenths of a penny is not much money, but three-tenths of a penny generated over and over and over and over again by gaming the system goes a long way. And so fan-powered royalties pretty much eliminates that. It makes it nearly impossible because here's the great thing. Each listener only has a certain amount of money to play with based on their listening, consumption of ads, or their subscriptions. And so like one person can't generate way, 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 way more money on a streaming platform than another person. And so it's actually fixed and it can't be gamed. And that was another hard thing to really overcome because it, it fundamentally changes the way some artists will see their royalties payouts because the gaming goes away. Yeah. And so in these past three years, I mean, it sounds there was a clear pain point, like such a pain point that artists want to be paid fairly and mm -hmm. they want to earn. What was product marketing's role within these three years from like an insights collection, bringing the customer voice to the product teams? Yeah, it's actually an interesting challenge because, you know, you nailed it over and over again. The group that benefits most from this is the artists, right? The independent artists, especially. And so there had to be quite a bit of research. So it was survey research based on our existing cohort of creators, some research beyond to prospective creators or people who were not using SoundCloud tools to just make sure that we understood A, what they cared about, what they were looking for in this kind of change whether it would impact how they spend their time and money uh, as creators in order to take advantage of the changes. So there was that research. The harder part though, is understanding the perspective behaviors of the lib, because we call it fan-powered royalties for a reason. Like I said, the power comes from the community, the people who are, who are tuning in, but there's no UX change, right? right. There, there's nothing fundamental on the feature set or the interaction. And so we had to make sure that if we made this change, that it wasn't going to somehow have a negative impact on the perception uh, of the relationship between the fan and the creator or something like that. So what we're, we're finding right now, both in the research before we launched and the research since is fans do want to have a sense of control. They do want to have a, have a sense of their role and they do want to have a sense of what their impact is on artists. And that's the next phase. So we're currently in that process of trying to understand both what the value propositions are to the listeners and how we kind of take advantage of those things that they care about. And then B, how we position it correctly. Because like you said, there's so much going on between what people want and how they understand the experience of what they wanted in the first place and how it's fed back to them, not only through user experience, which we don't actually get to do here, but in terms of positioning and messaging and how we tie it into both the product and the brand. 
it sounds like there's a lot of product education that needs to happen. My question is, you know, how aware are listeners of the existing model and the way that fan powered royalties challenges that model? Not very. So one of the things that we found was even though there's a lot of uh, call for action among independent artists, so you see, I'm not going to say companies' names, but you see protests outside of certain other DSPs on a pretty regular basis. Every major and minor uh, news outlet has published articles kind of taking apart the economics of streaming and saying it's just not fair, it's just not right. The UK government has now stepped in and said that we want to put policies in place. But when it comes down to the listener, there's very little awareness. There's very little retention of information about their role in it and how, to some extent, their money is being misused and how the relationship with certain products and brands is being taken advantage of, except for Gen Z. Yes. Gen Z actually thinks about stuff. And then presumably the Zoomers will also, the, the next generation to actually have credit cards and time on their hands to, to spend on products and software, they actually do care. And so this is really an interesting moment where we think about like, what are the differences between all these audiences and what do they actually want? And is it okay to start segmenting and creating value propositions and messaging is not resonant with the vast majority of the population, even of your current users, because it's highly resonant and highly relevant to another class. So I'm Gen X and I know both from my experience as well as my practices and my relation, we were curators. We wanted to pick and choose and the, the rise of indie rock and, and things like that yeah. hip hop were really determined by like, we wanted to be cool. We didn't want to just listen to whatever was on the radio. We wanted to actually determine by buying records and wearing t-shirts and things like that. We didn't have wide appetites though. We pretty much stayed in a lane. And then the next generation, the millennials, were all about the lean back consumption. They cared about it just coming to them because they had other things to worry about. And for the first time, things like music and other media, you could just put it on play. And it was and amazing. It would, the algorithm would choose. It would, it would learn you. And sometimes you'd get a journey track in there and you'd say, what is this? I hate this. Oh, right. but if I play it 10 more times, maybe I'll get used to it. Mind you, I hate journey. So yeah. sorry. <laughs> sorry to all the journey lovers out there. Don't stop believing, but really stop. And then you have Gen Z behind them, who's completely different. They want a sense of participation. Their values come first. They actually don't see the difference between themselves as listeners and creators. From moment to moment, they can be either, both, neither. I mean, there's just like such fluidness between how they hear something and then what they do with what they hear. So it's the idea of like the remix, the reaction video, the mash, the duet. All of these things really come from the sense they care deeply. And they, at the same time, think that everything is momentary and it can change at any minute, but a better change for the good. It's so interesting you say that because in my work as well, the, the millennial generation tends to skew more towards like brand affinities. And then Gen Z, absolutely, it's that connection with creators. And they themselves are the listeners, the creators and producers, like the remixing and mashups and dubs. So in kind of like thinking about these multiple audiences that you're working with, like you need to be creating messaging and positioning for these creators, but also listeners who could be creators themselves. And in your experience, like teetering the line between B2B and B2C in your product marketing experience, how do you feel, I guess, how are you thinking through these multiple audiences in creating your marketing assets? 
Yeah, it's tough, right? Because like I said, the vast majority of revenue and engagement tends to come from one cohort, which maybe isn't as closely aligned with your product, or your brand as you think they could be. And so you have to make the decision. Do we continue to market according to the expectations and the goals of the cash cow? Or do we believe that the cash cow is somewhat indifferent and that we have to focus our education and our marketing and our positioning to the people who are maybe a little harder to acquire, engage and retain, but who actually ultimately care more and represent higher long-term upside in that relationship. And so it's a really hard balance to strike. Right. And is that demographic more susceptible to change? Are they Mm -hmm. more open and flexible to new ways of thinking versus kind of that cash cow type of segment? That's really interesting. And it goes to my next question, which is the tagline for this launch was potentially polarizing. I mean, for those who haven't seen it yet, it's artists deserve to be paid fairly. How did you know this was the right direction? So there was some level of testing, right? We, we, we did go out and we made, we wanted to make sure that like, A, was that actually representative of what people felt and thought about when they learned more about fan-powered royalties and when they started to see their payouts? Did this still resonate? Because it is a matter of like, you're making more money or you're making less money under this model. So like you have to be okay with the idea of fairness. And we found that, that it did resonate quite well. Uh, first, second, if you look at the zeitgeist, there's a lot you can kind of tap into. You don't want to like go it alone. So sometimes it's great to go it alone if you're actually the first with the idea. But in our case, we weren't the first with the idea. We were just the first to execute it. We were the mm-hmm. first to have the backbone to say this is worth investing in. And if you look at those guys, if you look at how it's being described for the past few years, it's all about fairness. Frankly, uh, we had some internal wrangling about like what does fair actually mean? And I, I was new to the company while we were beginning to, to get ready for, for launch. And one of the key changes that I made was internal messaging and also some of the the FAQs and things like that around when we say fair, we mean equitable. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's important to understand because equitable is not interpretable. It is about share. No one can say there's no subjective view of what is equitable. There's only like, is it proportional? Is it representative? Is it coming from the level of engagement that you see from people who are actually determining the input that should then translate to the outcomes for, for artists. And the fun thing that we're working through now is kind of switching the baseball cap from brim forward to brim back as we pretty soon, the messaging around fan-powered royalties to not be about artists getting paid fairly. It's about the message for the listener and the fan. Yep. We really went down on like, who's this going to benefit? Who needs to understand this? Who is this for at launch? And the stage is like, okay, how do we actually tie this into our our consumer product? And I know that you are a big fan of product marketing as it relates to positioning frameworks that have encompassed larger themes and narratives. When building this messages strategy out even previously or for what's upcoming, how do you make sure that it aligns with larger themes and narratives of the business? Yeah. So sometimes you you actually want the themes and the narratives of the business to reflect what you're learning through product and feature launches. Like that's a great way to learn. Yeah, completely. So first things first, you have to make a hypothesis. You have to say, what is the problem that I'm trying to solve? Or what is the trend or change that we're trying to tackle? Um, take part in and build a hypothesis based on that. So every framework should have a hypothesis as major first step. It's your reason for being, and then make some assumptions. Like say, okay, so my targeting, my segmentation, my positioning are potentially going to be 
all of these things. I want to have a starting point, but with the objective of maybe being proven partially wrong so that you have the right information to, to determine what the final outcome is. And then in our case, it was then going out to the market and saying, okay, like we're going to do some really important survey work, not of SoundCloud listeners, but of people who are not currently on SoundCloud, as long as they are not A, creators, getting paid to be creators because they're biased, or B, as long as they are consuming music through some kind of digital platform. And we not only asked what matters to them, like how do you feel about X statement versus Y statement? We did two other things that were relatively new at SoundCloud and, and something that I, I really want to continue doing at SoundCloud and encourage everyone on the product marketing side to think about for, for their own major launches is in survey segmentation. So ask questions that you already know the answer to. Ask questions that you asked in past surveys. Interesting. Ask very straightforward questions because you want to actually say, okay, this group of respondents, their answers to downstream questions in the same survey go in this category. And the other answer goes into this category. And it's always great to have enough questions or enough options in the question that you can say, okay, like, we're going to group these three groups together because they're pretty similar, not only in terms of their responses, but in terms of the direction that they're going. And then these seven go over here. So that cohorting is really, really important to me. And then the other part of it that was new is Max Diff as a survey surveying model. So rather than just saying, which do you like? Pick one out. Because people get surveyed fatigue at some point yeah. in the survey, just like answering like, questions because, right. Where's the gift card? But, Right. With Max Diff, it, it forces the, the respondent to be honest because they get the same options four or five times and they aren't being asked, which do you like the best? They're saying out of these four, which do you like the best? Which do you like the worst? Okay. We're going to ask you that again with other options. And we're going to then come to, to the result for you based on several responses for the same question with different inputs and, and outcomes. That really gives you a high signal of like, okay, there are clear favorites and there are clear least favorites here. And we can actually have high confidence that like for this cohort, these answers, these value propositions, these messages are the ones that matter most. And then we can use those things to then determine not only the go-to-market and then positioning the messaging for this release, but also learn a ton about our audience, our prospective audience for future things around like how we define our business going forward. Were there any like learnings that came out of this that your mind was just blown and you were taken aback or surprised at what you found? Yeah, to the listener at least, status is, or definitions of fandom are less important than I thought. I really believed that the, one of the most important things to any given listener, especially among the younger cohort, was that they were seen that their efforts were validated and that they were seen as like a day one or a stan or a true fan or something like that. In the end, that was actually less important to them than the non-tangible sense that they actually contributed to something that is truly meaningful and that ultimately that thing that was meaningful to them continues to be. It's, it's also cool for them. They wanted some kind of reward also, but not as much as they wanted just the sense that the thing that they're investing in continues to be something worth investing in. Interesting. So listeners don't actually care if they were the first ones to hear this artist before they even became popular or yep. mainstream, they care more about the community in which they're contributing to at this time. Right. And that the community can continue to exist because the axis around which the community spins, in this case, it's a musician, an artist, that that musician or artist that they love continues to get to do the thing that brought them there in the first place. Again, it's one of the great differences between Gen Z and Gen X. Gen X 
similarly care, but they love being the one who broke it. Discovered, the one who told right. All their <laughs> yeah. Right. But Gen Z is like, no, no, no. I want to participate. Like, I want to be part of this thing. Yeah. I mean, that definitely resonates. I just discovered the dead, but by God, <laughs> this year I have contributed. I will be contributing to nine concerts. So <laughs> wow. I know My I went, I, I went I'm, really I'm crazy post COVID. Are we talking about like the original dead or, or no, like I'm talking about John. John I'm talking about John Mayer dead and co. <laughs> right. But like, does it matter that John Mayer is on stage to you? Yes, actually. Okay. <laughs> yes. Very much so. <laughs> Oh my God. That's too funny. Well, I want to like go back a year ago, even more at this point, which is crazy to even think about, but SoundCloud, like the fan powered royalties launched this past spring and timing wise, the arrival of COVID in the early 2020 actually maybe helped strengthen the creator community in many ways because of the combination of lockdowns and I would suggest, I would say like worsened unemployment, did creators begin to search for new ways to earn a living? And were people on the hunt for more content and ways to discover that content? So yes, yes, and yes. One of the things that we, we know is that the class of creators grew quite considerably, that the average quantity of content coming from creators also increased over COVID. We know that the traditional ways of them making money, which was a lot of shows, concerts, live events dried up. So that became very, very difficult. So they had to look for new ways to do it. And then, oh, the ways that people consumed music changed drastically, incredibly, right? So if if you think about it, I had a, a Google home device or an Amazon Alexa Echo in, in my house. But I, I didn't use it all that much. I, I use it for like small tasks or voice commands. And all of a sudden, <laughs> it's music. Right. Like I want to hear music all the time, right? And, you know, Xbox became a great place to listen to music while you're gaming. I still mostly listen through uh, a stereo system or through my phone, which is really like through the phone is where SoundCloud like really shot. We're on desktop. But the way people consumed did change. There were more things that people were doing as opposed to less because we were less on the move. We were less tied to our mobile devices and we we're more tied to other kinds of devices. And, and if you think about it, that's actually more deterministic around older folks than it is among younger folks because younger folks didn't really change that much. It was like either your mobile device or your gaming system. So that actually gave us a lot of clear relief among like, who's who out there? It's it sh- it shown in great relief. Young people are still out there playing sports on their skateboards, roaming the streets, kicking it out, protesting, doing whatever. And their mobile devices are really, really important as opposed to like people my age where it was like, okay, I guess I have this connected device thing on my shelf that I'll give it a swing in terms of right. gameplay. My favorite Animal Collective album. Cool. So yeah, that all really changed. And one of the things that SoundCloud really cares about and and we should all care about is like, okay, as the economics of being an artist also shift and and a lot of the things that were the biggest contributor, the earnings, the concerts and things are no longer viable. What else is there? Like as platforms, what do we do to, to serve them? As listeners, what do we do to serve them? And so, like I said at the top, fan powered royalties, SoundCloud doesn't require the listener to change their behavior drastically, which is the easiest behavior change is no change at all. But it does tie into like what we're already doing. We already see that people, especially young people are loyal. They're devoted. They don't just consume, they reconsume. 
And so creating a model by which the streaming pays off differently for those particular artists, the ones who, who need it the most because they can't tour and they don't have big record label contracts, it makes a huge difference. And so what did this go-to-market look like? I mean, especially with the launch, because I really only have experience in software, mobile apps. It wasn't like you could just press a button and turn this on. You know, what did the launch of this actually look like? It was complicated. So I thankfully joined at the tail end, like I said, so I was able to take part in the shine. Without yeah, any you missed the grunt work. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And this was also one of my first experiences in the consumer product world. I mean, even though this is for the, the artists primarily, it's still a consumer product when it comes down to it. And so there was a lot of energy put into being able to get the message out there, especially through the press. So being able to work with the music press and when I say press, I mean, also influencer community, you know, a lot of people who are journalistic do not have a newspaper to write for. They have their social media accounts and they have their, their other content platforms where they're going to be speaking to, to large audience of people who, who take their words seriously. And so being able to develop the right kind of content, the right kind of messaging that was easy for them to consume and then say again in a way that was going to be comprehensible to their audiences was really, really key. So we put a lot of emphasis on that. We also didn't try to play down the importance here. So there had been some talk in the past of other music platforms trying listener-generated royalties, but with fan-powered royalties on SoundCloud, we made a, a pretty big deal about it. Like we did a buyout of the entire platform. We made sure that the thing you saw on the day was this and only this. We took people to landing pages. We didn't pull punches in terms of being able to say like, okay, when this works, it really works. And the artists that you care about will get paid X percent more. The tough part was trying to speak to the industry. So we made some effort, but probably not. And that's the part we're, we're really trying to kind of focus on going forward is like, let's make sure that this is as, as welcome as it is among artists and potentially among fans, that the industry also understands it in terms that are relevant and fit within their mental model, or if the mental model needs to, to shift, we do it in a way that like is not disruptive. Um, right. but it's, but disruptive in the right ways, I should say. And in thinking about the future of fan-powered royalties and the next iteration of this product, what are you most excited about or like what's to come? Can't give away too, too much. I know, I know. <laughs> Good on you for the efforts, but I've been pretty adamant about like, hey, there's not enough for the listener here. If it's fan power, what more can we do so that the listener also has a different kind of experience and that we can kind of double down on this idea of participation and then also level up those insights so that they become more useful, not only for the direct consumer artists, but also for artists on labels. And we have to get to a point where like that shifts as well, because the people who are unhappy with the streaming payouts are not only people who are independent, but also people who are outside of the mainstream who are currently on labels. So we're really working on not only how do we go to market with the, the right kind of messaging for the right kind of audiences to kind of continue the narrative around what's changing, but also thinking about the product experience as well. And then also, if you think about SoundCloud, up until now, you and I have been talking about, okay, you have the listener experience on this side and you have the creator experience on this side. How do we mesh the value proposition beyond just the royalties? Like, how do we actually drive more creators onto the platform in the first place? Because they understand that only SoundCloud connects this idea of like, you have the entrenched audience, the people who are already there. You don't have to create your music someplace and then upload it to one platform and then it's distributed to another platform and the listeners are on the third platform. No, with SoundCloud, the listeners are there. The distribution is there. 
the payout systems are there. It's really threaded. And so being able to take advantage of that is a huge move for us. It's a huge differentiator for us in the future. And I think that thinking about the future of the creator economy, companies really do need to adapt to this change in connecting, really being the platform of connection between the creators and the listeners or the consumers for and helping creators with monetization tools and the ability to build their own brands within your platform. And there have been so many I would say adaptations of SoundCloud. SoundCloud has been around for many, many years Mm -hmm. now and has gone Mm -hmm. through a lot of changes. Like where do you see SoundCloud's role in the future of the creator economy? Yeah, let's think of it this way. So the largest amount of the biggest stars in music uh, from the past five, 10 years have all come through SoundCloud at some point. So like the Billies, the Post Malone's, Little Uzi Vert, all, all the people that get a lot of, play. even ones who are niche. So I m- mentioned Moses Omni earlier. I love Kehlani, the Bay Area R&B singer. You know, these are people all came through SoundCloud. Even SZA. SZA is now dropping her newest tracks on SoundCloud anonymously because she knows that they want to be heard. Think of a world in which you get to the same height as those artists and they don't have to give up their independence. They don't have to give up their masters. They don't have to give up their creative freedom. They maintain not only their brand and their image, but also their music. That's really meaningful. And SoundCloud is very much invested in creating uh, a system by which like, that's the truth. And beyond that, if you think about the role of data, we're all technologists, we should be thinking about the role of data all day long. This idea that the determination around how an artist get to do their own go-to-market to actually reach the audience and get the, the right kind of support and services and tools that they need is not strictly determined by an A&R, someone with like a diamond ear. I think nothing wrong with A&R, artists and repertoire, the, the people who are, are responsible for like listening for what's next and then figuring out how to market them into the world. But it's determined by the data of the interactions and engagement between the listeners on platform and the creators and which content resonates and for what reason. And that also can bring in data, not only from the DSP like SoundCloud, but also from other engagement platforms and other social platforms and all these things working together. And so being able to like right size the market uh, opportunity and right size the services that those artists get and right size the timing of them getting a deal. And again, not having to give up any of their freedom, not having to give up any of their masters, not having to give up any of the ownership of their overall vision is super important. I think about some of the artists who have gone to mainstream and kind of gotten like these huge deals. Sometimes the signing the deal is at the high moment of their careers because after that they're indebted to somebody else. Right. They're creating on behalf of some corporation. Again, nothing wrong with the, the labels, but it's not right for everybody. I think that this creator space is going to be so, so huge, not only for society, but also for product marketers. And there aren't many product marketers to date within kind of like this creator space. For a product marketer interested, what are some of your tricks or tips or just thoughts for someone who is interested in the creator space? I mean, so the the best advice I can give is go in as a passionate user. So the people with whom I work, the ones who like innately get it tend to be the ones who are not only active listeners on of music on platform, but also sometimes artists themselves. They're out there creating. They, they have not only empathy, but experience to go with it, but that's not enough, right? So 
I also have a background previously in developer marketing and product management marketing, like technical tools, open source, all kinds of weird stuff. And I always heard from those technical founders that like, I am the customer. I know what it is because I'm I'm the person who's going to use this in the end. And to some extent, they're right. It's a good starting point, but then you also have to break it and say like, okay, step away from those core insights and avoid assumptions. You are not perfectly representative of all people out there to whom you want to sell your product. You are partially representative and a good persona, but product marketing's real job is then say like, I'm going to framework this. I'm going to actually think deep and hard about who is this for, but more importantly, why is it for them? Mm. So coming in with that kind of thinking, whether it's the creator space or anything else, and anything that has a complex user or complex buyer, be prepared to buck assumptions. Be prepared to not just ask people what they want, but come in saying like, I've thought about the economics of this. I've thought about the network effects of this. I've thought about the strengths and weaknesses of the platform. And I have these hypotheses. I have this narrative that I, that I need to tell. It's not just about this one feature. It's about how the, all the features work. Being able to, to do that and have fun with it is a pretty good indication that like, yeah, you have what it takes to move towards one of these complex audiences, whether it's creators, whether it's Gen Z, whether it's developers, it takes a lot of deep thinking and willingness to frankly be wrong. So get ready to be wrong. That's the right. <laughs> Come up with ideas, be different, start from somewhere, but then be ready to be wrong, hope to be proven wrong. Right. I think what's interesting about this creator space is it's no longer a product marketer's job to just understand your audience. It's also to understand their audience. So it's a lot more like thinking around messaging and go to market and really an exciting space. So I just- What what better job to be done is there than that? Right. The job to be done is for them to understand their audience. Our audience first, their audience second. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I got to ask before we wrap up, have you been to a concert (laughs) post-COVID And if not, what is going to be your first concert back? Oh man, have I been to a concert? Yes, I I have been to a concert. I took my wife to see Fleetwood Macrame. The Bay Area's greatest Fleetwood Macrame. So that was tons of fun. You know, we were psyched to show off our COVID tests. Not our COVID tests. Yeah, right. Your your vaccination card. And man, I am ready for shows. Preferably outdoors, preferably loud and weird. Lucky thing about living in Oakland, there's all kinds of loud, weird outdoor shows happening here and there will be increasingly over time. But yeah, I can't wait to find myself in Mosswood Park here in Oakland, listening to Shannon and the Clams doing some really strange doo girl group garage music that belongs in no era whatsoever. I can't wait for that. I love it. Well, this has been so great, Ryan. I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. And if people want to connect with you after this, can they connect with you on LinkedIn? Yes, absolutely. I'm Ryan Goldman, easy to find. I wear glasses and smile a lot. When you see that guy in, in the profile, You know it's him. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much. 